I'm not good at working this mic. <clears throat> that was awesome. That was, thanks, Doug, and all our singers. And I was telling Crystal when we started this morning, before they were, they were practicing up here, it's crazy for the size church we have to have so many musically talented people. And I think that's because when we're worshiping with all our heart, it doesn't really, I mean, that's what we're all feeling that together. That's the, the difference in just singing. So um, I talked Wednesday night for the youth, and uh, I, I talked for like 10 or 15 minutes. I talked for a long time. I talked for like probably 15, 10 or 15 minutes, and then I, uh, dropping everything, uh, stopped and said, okay, I'm on my first word of my notes, and uh, I really was. So they got a big dose Wednesday night of some clay rambling, and hopefully I can limit some of that this morning, but no promises. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I missed on a Sunday morning, and I was driving kids. I'd taken them to Tulsa, to MFE, Made for Excellence Leadership Conference, and the older ones were at Advanced Leadership Development. And I took 12 kids up there. So I had a bus, and we were on their way up there. And there's no radio on this bus, and they're all... On the way up there, it wasn't bad, but on the way back, it's just like total silence except for this diesel engine humming. So I had a lot of time to think, and uh, maybe that'll come out this morning. I drove to Tulsa, dropped them off, drove back home on a Saturday, and that Sunday morning I drove back up there and uh, got them and came back home with them. So there was a lot of windshield time on the school bus that tops out at 65. So while I was driving there, this movie, The Star, had come out. I've seen some previews of it. You guys heard of the cartoon movie, The Star? <coughs> Nobody? Okay. Um, I'll fill in the gaps. So Meredith had talked about seeing the previews for The Star on TV and the boys really glued to it because there's all these animals. And it was, it's the Christmas story from the perspective of the donkey. So it's, it's different. Um, it's, pretty, it's a pretty cool movie. But that, I was driving home, and I'd been away from them the whole weekend pretty much. And we hadn't spent a lot of time together. And the boys had never been to a movie theater before. Um, they're two and a half. So obviously, for good reason, they hadn't been to one yet. But Meredith, one of Meredith's friends had, I think, a kid the same age. A couple months older than them, so she had taken him to the same movie, and they said that he did great. So we're like, if somebody else's kid did great, then surely ours can. And they really did. They surprised me. I was on the way down. We left the house. They woke up from a nap at 5.30, and the movie started in Sherman at 6.30. And I'm like, let's go to that movie. She's like, tomorrow? I was like, no, let's just go right now. Because she had a doctor's appointment. I was off work the next day, and she's going to be in Sherman anyway. Um, we decided to go that night. So we had a, a trip that was unplanned, which isn't. Um, something Meredith likes to do very often. It was fun. We uh, took off. We were like 15 minutes late to the movie, but it's animated, so you're not missing much. Um, and uh, we got you know the big popcorn, the big drinks, and we're all sharing it. And if you haven't been to the Sherman movie theater in a while, I haven't been in a long time. Um, they have rec reclining seats now. They're all padded and big cup holders, and everybody has plenty of room. You're not like still in elbow room on the on the chair or anything. It's pretty cool in there. So I was on one seat. There's like four other people in the theater besides us. The boys are sitting there and they're glued to this the whole time. And I was actually, me and Meredith both, were really into the movie. We didn't miss a whole lot at the beginning of it with the previews and all. It just kind of started. But the Christmas story from the perspective of the donkey was something really interesting. And it made us start talking on the way home just how crazy um, this Christmas story is. And some of the stuff in the movie, we're like, I don't know if that was really part of it or not. They added some stuff in, you know, some theatrics. Um, thanks for the kids. They had this really evil guy that had some dogs, and he was tracking Joseph and Mary. He's one of King Herod's men. And uh, 
it made us go back and read those, those things. When we think about this Christmas story, I know Christmas is next week, and I want to focus on um, kind of the bigger picture of it this morning. But as we're approaching this Christmas time, it's my favorite time of the year. Um, I am a sucker for Christmas songs and all that stuff. And some people think I'm crazy because of that. Some kids at school are wanting to play some Christmas music, and there was kids who were like, no, why this? It's everywhere. Turn it off. But I, I love it. I can listen to it all the time. Sometimes I'll, I got this... Um, ZZ Top Christmas album, it's a CD, and it's, uh, it's pretty good. Sometimes I'll pull it out like in June and July just to listen to it. Um, hadn't done that in a while, but it's fun. So I love Christmas, and I love the Christmas time, and we have this, you know, this beautiful stuff in church and the lit up trees and the decorations and all that, and it's a beautiful thing what, what Christmas is. But service, um, Jim Lewis was preaching, and he was talking about how beautiful we make this nativity scene. We set it up, and everything's in place, and Mary's looking down, and she's, you know, looking like she's ready to go out on the town. You know, everything's all put together, and Joseph's standing there like, yeah, this is God, and he's laying there in a manger, and everything's great, and all these animals are around, and the wise men are there. Um, but we really think about what that would have looked like, a baby being born in a barn with animals. I don't know if you guys have ever been in our school barn at school. Um, but there's a few weeks at a time that kids don't get their pens cleaned as good as they should. And you smell like, Crystal knows, you walk outside and the wind's just right and you can smell that barn um, from anywhere on the campus. And sometimes it even, it's stronger than the dumpster smell that you can smell sometimes. So um, <laughs> the, the barn scene, as beautiful as we try to make it look, was not a pretty picture in reality. Um, Jesus didn't come in this world in a perfect place. And God designed that. And as I was thinking about that Christmas story and how, um, you know, we, we make it look and how it actually would have been, I think about, I don't know, my mind goes everywhere, and I'll try not to land everywhere today. I want to land in one spot. But creation, um, the world that we live in now was not the way it was created. God did not create this world for us to, to live in sin. He did not create this world for us to have death and sickness in pain. He didn't create us like that. If we go back to Genesis chapter 1 and we look at those, those verses when God made the world and He's making all the, the oceans and the land and the trees and the plants and, and us, He made us in His image and we had perfect relationship with Him. Adam and Eve got to walk with God and they got to talk with God and they were in His presence constantly. He came down and He walked with them. He let Adam name the animals and He built this relationship. Last week James Ask the question, have you guys ever wondered um, why you're created? Why am I here? And I have, I think everybody. If, if you're honest with yourself, that's a, an obvious question. Um, with all the things that life throws at you, why am I here? Why is this, this the way it is? And when you go back and you, and you see that, you realize that right now it's not. Um, we, we've fallen. That garden, that what God made perfect, um, He did one thing for us. That was a huge blessing and a huge curse because he gave us free choice. So we're not these robots that listen to God's commands and just do them out just because that's the way he designed us. He did design us for that. But we make a lot of mistakes, and he gave us the freedom to choose to make mistakes. And we see how that played out in the garden. And I don't know about y'all, but a lot of times I blame Adam and Eve for a lot of things. <laughs> and I know that I'm just being like the people throwing the rocks, and God's like, if you haven't sinned, then... Cross this line, he has, whatever it is, I'm paraphrasing. But uh, yeah, thanks. My wife knows better. Um, but I feel like that. Another, yesterday morning, we were going to a, a pig show. And uh, if you've never been to a pig show, you should just go. It's a joyful event. 
Um, especially the first one of the year when all the pigs are like 80 pounds and can run faster than anyone else there. Um, it's a great time. And we were there, or we weren't there yet. I, was, I got up at like 3.30 yesterday morning, um, had to pick up a pig north of Lane, like three miles at five. So I'm getting ready. I go up to the school, and I haven't done anything to get ready for this pig show yet. I mean, the trailer's there, but I haven't put any of the pins in it, the panels we need for the pigs. So I'm just like, I'm just going to give myself time in the morning, go up there, get it all ready. Well, it's pitch black. My outside light for the school is off, and I don't need it anyway. I know where everything's at. Well, we had unloaded some panels out of a trailer and leaned them up against a wall, and I needed some of those. So I was walking in the dark, and I wasn't using my phone light because I just thought I knew where everything was. One of the panels was bent up like at a 45-degree angle, aiming right at my leg, and never saw it. Whack, I got a huge mark on my shin. It still kind of hurts right now. And uh, I was not in a good spot there for just a few seconds. Uh, I might have said some words that I didn't need to say. I was the only one there, so I didn't bring anybody else down. But I definitely was not in a good spot. So I thought, as I was thinking, I wasn't thinking about this in the moment, but I thought to live in a world with no pain, what would that be like? We can't imagine that, to have no, no pain, no sickness, no death. Um, we can't fathom it because we've never experienced it. But Adam and Eve had that, and God made us for that life. He made us to live perfectly with Him away from all of that pain, away from running into a panel, away from anything that could hurt us. And we chose, Adam and Eve chose, um, something besides that. He gave them one rule. We all know what that rule was. And they were too tempted by that one thing to realize how good they had it. And they spent the rest of their lives, and their kids did, and their grandkids did, trying to redeem themselves from that original sin. And we see that play out. How that original sin, that was the one. Now they're away from God. They broke that relationship. And sometimes we view it, and I was with my kids in my small group on Wednesdays, we talk about God banished them from the garden. Was that love when He sent them out of the garden? If they had it perfect, and they only did one thing wrong, and it was just eating a fruit, why was He so harsh on them? The thing was, God made us for a relationship with Him. This is what I think. Like Jamesology last week, this is some clayology for you. Um, I think God made us for a relationship with Him, and when we chose to break that relationship by disobeying Him, then He set us, he set us out and said, okay, that's what you chose. You chose sin, here it is. Here's what being separated from me looks like. Here's what the world apart from me looks like, and that's where you're going to be now. So if we look at the Old Testament, I had some notes Wednesday that I shared. I'm going to try to go through them faster than I did for the kids Wednesday night. But there's 39 books in the Old Testament. If you don't know, um, every book in the Bible was a separate book at one point. These were all compiled together. And when they did that, they put them in order as they would have um, not necessarily happened because we see some stuff later on that happened before and that kind of thing. But they put them in order based on what the book was about. So the first five books of the Bible um, is Genesis through Deuteronomy. We know as the Pentateuch, um, the Jewish people use that, and that's where all of our history comes from, and that's where the law comes from. So in Genesis, we see the fall of man. We see the law come into place. If we read like Leviticus and Numbers, and there's just tons of don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. And it's just, here's how to be holy. Here's the list of things you do not do, and if you don't do those things, then you're holy. And we all know what that looks like. We can't live out that list. So people tried for years. The 12 books come after that, Joshua through Esther. Um, our history books, how God worked in people's lives, even though they've already fallen, God was still very much a part of that. And the ones that called on His name, the ones that, that lived a life for Him, regardless of how perfect that life was, um, He was there with them, and He led them. 
Um, the next five books, Job through Song of Solomon, is wisdom. And that's where you know, people hang up these psalms, they hang up these proverbs. Those are books of wisdom. So God gave wisdom to man to write down so they would know good ways to live. Um, the five books following that, Isaiah through Daniel, are what we call our major prophets. And then the 12 books after that, Hosea through Malachi, are what we call our minor prophets. So that's how the Bible, in the Old Testament anyway, is, is compiled together by the law, the history, wisdom, and then the prophets. So all, this thing, all these things happened before Jesus. There's thousands of years before Jesus was born of, um, of documented history. So as we're looking through that, and we're looking through the Old Testament, these prophets, um, a lot of the, the Christmas verses um, that we see are happening in these prophecies. Um, Isaiah is huge in prophesying Christmas. And a lot of times I don't think about that. I think, you know, the world's broken. Jesus had to come save it because it couldn't live perfectly. And I don't think about the people really that were before that time. I don't think about how they must have lived, you know, the sacrifices they had to make, the animals that had to be slain um, when they did sin. Totally different time than what we have now. We're, leave, we're leaving, living in the time post-Jesus. He's come. He's risen again. And now we have freedom. But before He came, there was no, no freedom. There was, there was, you had to pay that price. Sin equals death. And they had to pay. Something had to die for those sins that they had committed. And that played out for years. Isaiah, I looked at this on, online, about 700 years before Jesus was born, the book of Isaiah was written. So Isaiah never saw Jesus come. Even though in Isaiah 7, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. We read that and we're like, well, yeah, it's Christmas. But this is 700 years before Jesus came. Um, Isaiah 9, verse 6. And you don't have to look this up. I'm going to speed through some of these. For, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Those are some big verses in Isaiah that we know um, he was prophesying about the, the, the Messiah coming to save him. Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the, the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth to me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from the old and ancient days. So we even see the name of the town where Jesus was born at um, come into play in the Old Testament. This is Micah. They say that the, the prophets, there was silence for 400 years after the last prophets um, had written down these things, after the last prophecies. So silence for 400 years. So we know that at least 400 years of time had gone by from the time that these people had prophesied Jesus is coming. And that's, I mean, for us, that's several lifetimes. So these people wrote about the, these things. They knew they were true because they had, had it revealed to them through God. But they never physically saw these things play out. And their faith was still strong enough to continue telling those stories so that their, their kids and their kids' kids would know what to look for when He came. So when we see things like in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, we see those Christmas stories when you put them all together, all the pieces of that. People have been waiting for a long time for Jesus to come and restore what people had broken, to fulfill that law. And uh, a lot of times we take for granted what Jesus did for us. Um, we don't think about the way that they had to live back then to, to be considered holy, to be considered righteous. Um, the things that they had to sacrifice because of their own, um, their own desires, their own sins, but they had to pay for that themselves. And we get to live in a time now where uh, Jesus has paid for that for us already. So as I'm looking at this, and you see the history unfold of the fall of man and the way God worked even after that fall. 
and the prophecies that came about Jesus' coming. When he came, it was a big deal. That's a, a major understatement. <laughs> when he came, it, it changed literally everything. Um, everything that they, had, that they had broken in relationship with God, he came to restore that. And, I mean, even I talked Wednesday night to the, to the youth. He even changed time. Um, we know now, um, even calendar-wise, you know, we have B.C. and A.D. He changed. The, the, scale started, the year scale started going up from the moment that he entered the world. He literally changed every single thing about our lives. He came to save us. He came to restore the relationship that we, that we had broken with God. Um, and only he could do that as, as a man. This is the confusing part for me. Um, God did not break the relationship with us. That was us. And he gave us the choice to do that. So the only way that that relationship could be restored was through man. So God steps out of his realm to come down and be born in a barn with animals by teenagers. And you see this, this crazy scene unfold. That happened today. I mean, that's like stuff you read about in the paper and go, how do people get in that condition? Why would you, a baby born in a barn? Like, I know what a barn looks like, especially ones that house animals all the time. It's not a place that I want to have my kids. Uh, even having them in a hospital isn't a great time, right? No one enjoys that. Um, but having them in a barn where there, there's this is so unclean. Um, and you think about that, that's what he was doing. He was perfectly clean. And he came down to live with us who were unclean. And there's no better, I don't think there's any better way that he could have done that, more unexpected way. And people are knowing about this Messiah that's coming. And he's coming to, to restore um, the relationship with God that we've broken on our own. And they're expecting this, this king, this mighty king to come and save them, and he did, but he did it in a way that, that we didn't really see coming. He was born in a, in a manger, in a barn, nasty place, animals are around. Um, God sends angels to shepherds out in fields to come watch over him. Shepherds. These are like, yeah, they're, they're just the common people. He sends them to watch over him. He doesn't call on, on, on Herod to go watch him because we know what Herod was. Um, Herod was the king of the Jews at the time. And when he heard that this was happening, this prophecy is being fulfilled, Jesus is coming, what did he want to do? And this is in that cartoon too. Um, he's, yeah, the, the star, when he sent the, the bad guy, he sent a lot of bad guys. So we know that after Jesus was born, they had to flee to Egypt because Herod um, ordered that all of the male babies be searched and killed, all the firstborn sons, because he knew that Jesus was the firstborn. So mass murders going on by the Jewish king who has lived his whole life for this faith, but yet when the power is going to be removed from him to God, back to God, restored back to God, he doesn't want any part of it because he's losing his power. So you see the sinfulness that he's in and uh, how that played out. So God calls on the lowly and says, you go watch over him. And, and that's just crazy to me that, to see how that all, all those things that I wouldn't put together um, come together. I'd want guards there. If, if I knew that God was coming to earth, I'd want you know, the finest military that we had there to make sure that this man who came from God is going to be protected. And God said, I'm going to send some shepherds. You're going to be born in a barn in a little town called Bethlehem that isn't even part of the clans. It's just a little town. And that's where you're going to be born at. So he came from, he came into the world in a spot that none of us would expect. Changed everything. Changed it all for us. Um, if you look back in Genesis again, you don't have to look back, but if you think back to Genesis again, um, 
the fall of man that broke the relationship with God, the reason that it broke it is because all sin is, this is some more clayology for you, all sin is, is choosing things that are not godly. And it doesn't matter what you fill in the blank with that. Um, everyone's tempted different ways. Everyone has different desires, um, fleshly desires. But all those things are still choosing to put something above God that doesn't belong above God. And that can be anything. That can be relationships with other people. Um, that can be things that we consider good. Um, it's good to have a nice house. It's good to have a good job. Um, but when we start prioritizing those things and choosing those things rather than, than choosing to walk with Christ, those things can be sin too. And if we choose to share um, the things that we're blessed with with others and show the love of Christ, those things aren't sin anymore. It's all about how your heart looks at those things. God didn't create anything in this world um, to be evil. We choose to make it evil. So in us having free choice, we choose to pervert a lot of things that, that God designed to be good and holy. And you guys know, you guys could keep filling in the blanks with, with all kinds of things. So we look at Isaiah, we look at, at Romans. We're not Romans yet. We look at Isaiah, we look at Micah, those prophecies that are coming. And then uh, Jesus is here. He's a baby. He's born in a manger. And as a dad, I think about, you know, we have twins. They're two. Uh, they're back here. They're crazy. Uh, to know ahead of time that as Joseph, um, the dad in the situation, the earthly dad in the situation, for me to put myself in his shoes for a second, um, any man to put himself in those shoes. This, this lady is pregnant. It's not your baby. The angel came. He told you to marry her anyway because it's God's son. And you see the faith of Joseph, and he, he carried that out. I don't know very many men that would be just totally fine with that. And, you know, I've never had an angel come and tell me anything like that, so it would probably change it a lot. But um, when we see that unfold, you see Joseph's faith, and you see these parents that he gave them and how young they were and how much they didn't know, um, even about Jesus and raising him. But knowing that you're raising Jesus, that, that the Son of God is playing in your backyard, he just skinned his leg and you're bandaging him up, and you're caring for who made you, um, I, just, I can't imagine that, um, what that would have been like, knowing that here's God in their hands and they're raising him and reading these prophecies to him and saying, this is you. This is, this is who they've spoken about for hundreds of years. This is you now. And, I mean, you, you know his life. You know how, how he grew and how he started his ministry and how ultimately he came to earth to die for us. And as I think about that, the, just the, the way that he came, um, the young life that he lived, I mean, he wasn't, people estimate he was like 32, 33 years old when he was crucified. So that's just a few years older than me. And to know that uh, in my short life, the things that I don't know, he already knew everything because he was God. And he lived without sin. And if you look at Romans 6, that's where I really want to land here in just a second. And look at my time. Yeah, I've got to wrap up pretty quick. I always think that I'm not going to talk long, and then I do. I thought I had a mark, too. All right, Romans 6. We're going to start in verse 1, but I want to read verse 23, first of all. Um, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I asked this question Wednesday night to the kids, and I said, if Jesus was without sin, then how could he die? If the wages of sin is death, 
then how could Jesus, who lived an entire life without sin, die? And the answer to that is pretty simple. And you see that take place on the cross. The way that he died was by taking on the entire sin of the entire world, uh, past, present, and future. Everyone that ever had lived and everyone that was alive and everyone that would ever live again, he took on all of their sin, and that's how he died physically. He took on the sin. He became sin that knew no sin, that we might become his righteousness. He who was without sin come down from, from heaven, lived as a man, and died because he took on our sin. Um, that's what he did for us. He came to restore what we had broken, but he had to become one of us before he could restore it because we're the ones that did it. Um, that's the gospel. That, and it just blows my mind. So what do we do with that? And that's what I want to land on today. Um, next week we're going to have our Christmas service here, 11 o'clock, normal time. Um, Christmas Eve candlelight service, the same way that we have done. I think it's going to be candlelight. Mark's preaching, so that may, may change. But we're going to do a Christmas Eve service here in the morning instead of the evening. Last year we did in the evening. Um, so I want to save some of this good Christmas stuff for Mark. Um, but I want to really dig into the gospel and what it all is about today. So we can be thinking about that as, as we're approaching Christmas. So Romans chapter 6, verse 1. I'm going to read probably through 16 or so. Uh, what do we do with that? What do we do with knowing that he came to be the sacrifice for us? Where does that leave us? If now he has freed us from the law, whoever has called on him, he, he has paid the price for us. We don't have to pay that price anymore. What do we do with that? So here's what uh, Paul writes to the Romans in, in chapter 6 of, of Romans. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, by him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so we may no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the lives he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your, your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present your, yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. So that's what we do with it. Um, there's a lot of stuff there. But basically, God has died for us, and He's called us to die to ourselves so that we can live with Him. We still have that choice whether to die to ourselves or not. And when we die to ourselves, that means that we die to our sinly flesh and, uh, and live a life for Him. We don't just do whatever we want and say, Oh, it's awesome, Jesus came now. It's the Garden of Eden all over again. I can do whatever I want and name everything again. Um, no, that's not the way. That's not why Jesus came. Jesus came to, to free us um, from the sin that we had put on ourselves, from the place that we got ourselves in. So he frees, us, he frees us of that by coming and dying on the cross in place of us. 
And all He asks for in return for us to be covered by grace is a relationship with Him. To be enslaved to uh, grace is to be free. Uh, that's what it is. And it's, I mean, that terminology is confusing because we think of slavery, we think of being bound. And, but when you're bound by grace, then you're free from the sin that causes death. And that's how you get life. Uh, back in the spring, Scott did a, a, a study with us here called The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. If you haven't read that book, I haven't read the book. I'm uh, in the study. Um, it's a, a great study, and I think the book would probably be just as great <laughs> if I read it. But we decided to rent that last, I think it was Tuesday night. And you guys in the room that have twins too, young twins, you'll understand this. It took us four evenings to watch it. And it's like an hour and a half long. Uh, but we finally finished it Friday, started Tuesday night, and it's a great movie. They did a great job. Um, a lot of the Christian movies you watch, you're like, can't you get some better actors in this? I know it's a good story, but this is some terrible acting. The acting was really good in this movie. Um, it, was, um, it was in theaters for a while. But one of the, my favorite parts in, in the movie was uh, Lee Strobel was an atheist. He worked for the Chicago Tribune, and his wife started going to church. And he did not like that at all. They had, they had young children. She was pregnant again. And uh, his whole thing was he wanted his wife back. Um, now she's going to church. She's different. She's a, she's a different lady. And we know that's a good thing. But for him, I mean, everything, his whole life was turned upside down because she wasn't the woman that he married because he married her when she didn't have faith. So um, they had had a tragedy. Not really a tragedy. Their child got choked in a restaurant, was choking on some food. And a lady saved him. Um, did the Heimlich maneuver on him, got the, the food out of her throat. And that's what caused the, the mother, seeing that lady save her child, um, to go to church with the lady that saved her child. The lady invited her to church to know uh, more about this. Because the lady had said she was going to go to eat at a different restaurant and had decided on a whim just to go in that one. She felt like God wanted her to eat there. And that sparked the, the mother's interest, the wife's interest. So Lee Strobel, he's a, a writer for the Chicago Tribune, and he's an investigative reporter. And he has, you know, helped sway the public's image of criminals, um, done a lot of, of great work for the Chicago Tribune in the 80s. And he went on a, a journey to investigate the, uh, the reality of Jesus Christ ever um, occurring, ever really being here. And it's, a, it's full of emotion, the movie is, but there's one point in it where he goes, he's talking to a pastor. And he said, the guy said, what's your problem? Why, why do you have such a hard time? believing in this. And he said, I just don't understand why a God that created all of this would make himself be stripped of all that to come live the way we have to live and die. Why would he do that? And all the preacher said to him was love. And that was the end of that scene. And it was a really powerful, um, it wasn't really the climax of the movie, but it was a really powerful scene to see him realize for the first time that that's what it was all about. Um, it wasn't about God saying, you can't do it right, so I'm going to come do it for you. It was about, and he, that's what he did. Um, but it was about God saying, I love you enough. You broke this relationship, but I'm going to come restore it because that's how much I love you. And that's powerful. That's, that's life-changing stuff. So um, as we're getting ready for Christmas, and we're coming to that season, I know it's, it's easy to focus on just the Christmas scene. But please don't miss... Um, the life that Jesus lived and what he lived that life for. Because there's not a person alive and there's never been a person that has lived that he didn't die for. I was, I was looking and studying some just, you know, things you don't really think about. One of the kids had asked, what about the people that even lived before Christ came? What about them? 
what, what choice they have. And there's a scripture in Ephesians. I can't remember. I'm not going to look it up because I'm running short on time. If you want to look it up, you can. It's in Ephesians. I know that. Um, I think towards like five or six or the end of the, of the book. But it says that Christ um, came and died, and he actually went to the people of Noah and proclaimed to them as well, the ones that had not um, accepted Christ during Noah's time building the ark. He proclaimed it to them too in spirit. So he even came, he died on their behalf as well. God created us eternal. Just because our physical bodies die doesn't mean that we do. Um, nothing, even after the fall, the eternity of man has not changed. God designed every single one of us to live eternally. And uh, that hasn't changed. So we get to choose. He gives us the choice whether to, to be bound by the sin of that or be bound by the grace that he's given to us. So, um, Doug, you mind coming up? I'm going to give you guys a chance this morning. Um, if you want to come down, I mean, I know it's a, lot, it's a lot to take in, what Jesus has done for us. And it takes a long time to, uh, or it has for me anyway. I'm 29, and I'm still reading this stuff and going, wow, that's something I never have thought of. And I, I, that never changes. You know, I talked to Bill. Um, Bill's not here this morning, but I know every time I talk to him, he, he's finding new things. And Bill's not a young guy. He's finding new things in, in Scripture because he's studying it. and He's spending time in relationship with God. And we'll continue that journey as long as, as we're willing to invest in the relationship that he offers us. So this morning, if you're interested in, in that relationship that God offers, or if you're already there um, and just want to, to reach out more to him and even just thank him for what he's done for you, I'm going to give you a chance to do that as, as Doug plays and sings something. You can choose whatever you want to do. If you want to pray, uh, it doesn't have to be with me. It can be on your own. But I just want to give us time this morning. Brian, turn the lights off. And uh, just think on, on what he's done for us. Because it, it's overwhelming to me when I sit and just think about how all these things have played out to get us here to this point so that we can still sin but be, be free from the consequences of it because of what he did. And not to give us an excuse to sin, but to know that if we do, we can still continue in that relationship with Him. It doesn't have to be a lifestyle. We don't have to be bound by the sin anymore. And uh, He has freed us and covered the law with grace. So, Doug.